Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. There have been times in our history where we have seen great miscarriages of justice. There have also been times when we have seen the right person convicted of the right crime and received their just dues. That being said, there have also been times when the line between what is just to who are not so clear in the circumstance of a given situation, that is. Example being a domestic abuse situation where somebody is locked into a relationship of unending fear and mental and physical abuse doled out on a daily basis. Today, this still happens, though it is not as prevalent as days gone by, and that's a shame. In fact, terrifyingly enough, there was a time in our history when it was an accepted behavior for a man to abuse his wife, and there was no legal means for her to even say a word about it. Come on in, take your shoes off, set a spell, let me tell you about well, one such incident, the legend of Frankie Silver. For this story, we go to the town of Morganton, North Carolina, which sits about 240 miles northeast of Atlanta, Georgia. At the time that this story took place, Morganton was a small town of mainly farmland. There were few small roads that led to Morganton, and the railroad had just hadn't made it there yet. That's where Francis Frankie Stewart was born in 1815. Now, not much else is known about her upbringing other than the, by the time she was 14 years old, she had married one Charlie Silver. A year later, she gave birth to their daughter, Nancy. The couple's happiness didn't last long, though, because Charlie, well, he began drinking and doing it heavy. And when he did, he started abusing Frankie. So on December 23, 1831, Frankie went to see her mother to ask if she'd seen Charlie because he had went hunting with his friends George, George Young and had never returned. 
during the encounter, her mother noticed that, well, Frankie was acting really distressed. The next day, when Charlie still wasn't here or hadn't shown up, his father John came by and took Frankie to George Young's house. George said that he never had plans to go hunting with Charlie, and in fact, he hadn't seen Charlie for quite a while. Frankie flat out said George was lying. John took Frankie back to her cabin where he found Charlie's dog. He thought this was really odd because Charlie always took his dog hunting with him. This is when John began thinking something bad had happened to Charlie and, well, he called the sheriff. Frankie went ahead and uh, reported her husband missing. Yeah, and she said she hadn't, he hadn't returned from hunting trip and hadn't seen him since he left. Many of the local people residing in the area helped search for Charlie, but they never found any sign of him. Finally, Jack Cullis, who was a local hunter, found burnt human remains in the fireplace at the Silver's cabin in the mountains. There were more body parts found around the property, including stuffed underneath the cabin's floor. It soon came to light that Frankie's family, the Stewarts, didn't get along with Charlie's family. The Stewarts were poor, whereas the Silvers owned a lot of land and were regarded as wealthy by comparison. It was said that the Stewart family tried to talk Charlie into selling his land, and he refused, and this was motive for murder. Alfred, Charlie's brother, described in detail what he thought had happened. Of course, he couldn't really have possibly known, but that didn't stop him. He claimed that Frankie had sent Charlie to chop wood. Alfred said, being tired and sleepy after all the wood chopping, my brother lay down on the floor close by the fire with his little girl in his arms and went to sleep. His head rested on an inverted stool for a pillow. Frankie sneaked in and took the baby out of his arms and put her to bed. And on the way back in, she picked up the axe from near the door where she had stowed it for just such a purpose and tried to whack his head off with a single blow. Of course, she misaligned the axe and only cut it part of the way off. The first lick didn't kill him instantly and he sprang to his feet and Frankie fled to the bed by the child and covered herself up until she heard a dull thud where Charlie fell over. Then she jumped out of bed and finished the job with a barrage of follow-up blows. Other members of the Silver family accused of Frankie's parents of the murder saying that Frankie's father was in the cabin urging her to kill Charlie and that if she didn't, her father was going to kill her. Now, at that point, Frankie was immediately arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Frankie's mother and brother were also arrested, but only Frankie was tried for Charlie's murder. Her relatives were arrested because they were, well, at first believed to have helped Frankie to dispose of the body. In March of 1832, Frankie's trial began at the Burke County Courthouse. Frankie was never able to give her testimony because women were not able to do so in those days. It only took the jury two days to find her guilty, even though there were very little evidence against her. The jury believed that she hacked up her husband with an ax in a jealous rage. The prosecutor suspected that Frankie thought her husband was having an affair. 
and she was sentenced to be hung on June 28, 1833. Some folks say Frankie had later explained that she had hit him with the axe as he was loading up his gun to shoot her in the middle of one of his drunken tirades. Unfortunately, though, by this time it was too late. She was already convicted and sentenced to hang. On May 18th, Franklin's family helped her break out of jail for many denied appeals of her attorney, or after many denied appeals by her attorney. It was She was disguised as a man in a man's coat and hat and hidden in a load of hay that was being taken out of town by a wagon. She was caught a few days later in Rutherford County, and, well, they brought her back to prison. As the date of her hanging grew near, the governor delayed the ex- execution for two weeks when petitions to save her life were presented to it. The people who believed that she was an abused wife and had murdered Charlie in self-defense signed those petitions to have her pardoned. Nonetheless, their efforts failed, and on July 12, 1833, on the scaffold, she wore a white dress and was given that was given to her by some of the women of the county who believed her to be innocent of the murder. Before being hung, she was asked by the sheriff if she had any last words, but before she could answer, her father yelled from the crowd, Die with it in you, Frankie. And Frankie did just that. It wasn't known where Frankie was buried for many years, but it is now. It is believed that she is in the far corner of the present-day DeVault Farm, about 10 miles west of Morganton, North Carolina, off of Highway 126. Frankie and Charlie's daughter, Nancy, was raised by her grandparents, though it wasn't for sure which, whether by the Silvers or the Stewarts, she eventually married David Parker of McDowell County. David died fighting in the Civil War. The couple had children who were rumored to be raised by others and not reunited with Nancy until she remarried. Her second husband was William C. Robinson. They had one son together named Commodore. Nancy's great-granddaughter claims Mr. Robinson sexually abused one of Nancy's daughters, and Nancy made him leave. She then took her first husband's name, Parker, back again, and that's what's on her gravestone. She is buried in Macon County at Mount Grove Cemetery, far away from her parents. Charlie has three different graves in which he was buried at the Silver Family Cemetery behind Kona Baptist Church in Kona, North Carolina, This is because all of his body parts weren't found at the same time, so they buried the pieces as they found them. Hope you got something out of our story today. Sometimes things just ain't pretty, and I'm not one for putting perfume on a hog and trying to pass it off as beauty. Some stories just need to be told, and this is one of them. Join me on our Facebook group at Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. And, of course, I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I'll see you again real soon.